right, good morning. Well, I am grateful for the Lord's faithfulness and for his grace and his mercy. Grateful for his word and the time together just to reflect on his goodness. I hope you will continue to follow along with us in our 21 days of prayer. Um, I know last week we had printed some 21 day prayer guides and we ran out, but we've printed some new ones and we should have those today if you wanna pick that up. Otherwise, you can follow along in our church app and on, our, on the website, and there's uh, lots of resources there for you. Prayer is important. Do you believe that? Prayer is vital to our life of faith. Prayer isn't the only thing we do, but it is the first thing that we do, and we believe that in that we declare our need, and when we declare our need, God meets that need in prayer, and so as a church, we want to be a praying church, so we'll continue. We have two more weeks uh, for our 21 days of prayer, and then Sunday, October 2nd, we will conclude our 21 days of prayer with a prayer and worship service right here in the auditorium on Sunday evening, October 2nd at 5.30, and I hope you'll make plans to join us for that. We'll be joined by Restoration Church in Sanford, Pastor Arthur and the team from Sanford. We'll also be joined by Pastor Carlos and the Spanish ministry um, as a time of prayer together as the church. I hope you'll make plans for October 2nd, Sunday night, okay? Um, well, we're continuing our series in the book of 1 John today, uh, and we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through the first two verses of 1 John chapter 2, and we'll read that together in just a minute. But just in way of review this morning, uh, we've been in 1 John for two weeks. If you haven't been with us, you can look, uh, follow along online. Uh, our church has a YouTube page. You can find the sermons there to just kind of get caught up on the last two weeks. But let me give you the, the Reader's Digest Cliff Notes version, okay? Uh, John, the apostle, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, and we talked about that in week one. He wrote this letter to the church so that they could have confidence. Uh, John was written to give us certainty and confidence in our faith. John was written to give us certainty and confidence in our faith. We can know, 1 John 5, 13, John says, I have written these things to you who believe so that you may know that you have eternal life. Turn to your neighbor and say, you may know. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you may know. John wrote so that we could know that we have eternal life. He wrote so that we could know who God is and who we are in Christ. He also wrote so that he, we could know who we are without Christ. 1 John 5, 18 says, the world is separated from God. Without Christ, we are separated, but in Christ, we are redeemed. We are adopted as children of God. We have eternal life. And John wrote so that we could know who God is, who we are with Christ and without Christ. He wrote so that we could know how to come to him. He wanted to give us confidence and hope in our faith. So that's why John wrote the letter. And then last week, we looked at another statement of John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he said, I am writing so that our joy may be made complete. 1 John was written that we might experience true and lasting joy. 1 John was written that we may experience true and lasting joy. 
He said, I'm writing so that our joy, our joy may be made complete. He wants us to experience true joy. And, and he points out that that true joy, that lasting joy, that real joy only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through the person of Jesus. I, I made that statement last, last week, true joy comes from a person. Somebody asked me to clarify that a little bit. And, and, and what I'm saying is it comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. It is in that relationship, or as John calls it in this passage, fellowship with God, knowing God, following God, living with God, and communion with God. It is in that that we experience true and lasting joy. So John wrote that we could have hope and confidence in our faith, that we could experience lasting joy. And this morning, we're going to see that John uh, writes this letter so that we can know the truth about sin in our lives. So we're going to read that passage in just a minute. But before we do, I want to ask you to think of a time in your life um, when, when you were trying to make a good impression on someone, okay? Everybody think of a time in your life when you were trying to make a good impression Maybe you went to a new school for the first time when you were younger and, and you wanted the kids to like you, right? Maybe it was a first date. Maybe it was a blind date and, and you wanted to make a good impression. Maybe it was the first time you met your in-laws. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And you wanted to make a good impression. Maybe you were trying out for a team or auditioning for a part Maybe it was a job interview and you wanted to make a good impression. Maybe at the job interview, the uh, boss asked you, so tell me about your weaknesses. And you're like, oh no. And you said something like, my only weakness is that I care too much, right? <laughs> Whatever. Because sometimes when we're trying to make a good impression, we feel like we, we need to hide our flaws, we need to hide our baggage. We don't want anybody to see our weaknesses because if they knew our weaknesses, then they wouldn't accept us. They wouldn't like us. And after all, we're trying to make a good impression and you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? We've heard that our whole life. So put your best foot forward. Dress to impress. All of these things that we grow up thinking and and understanding, and we want to make a good first impression, but our relationship with God is totally different than that. God is not looking for the best people. God is not looking for impressive people. God is, is looking for people who are not even good. God is looking for people who are willing to admit that I am not good, that I know my heart, and I'm selfish, and I'm sinful. That's the people God is looking for. In fact, Scripture said God resists the proud, those who think I'm good enough on my own, but he has grace for the humble, those who admit that I am a broken sinner in need of a savior. We don't have to try to impress God. We don't have to try to hide our shortcomings. We don't have to come to him with our list of accomplishments. We don't have to say, my only weakness is that I care too much, Lord. He sees through all that anyway. 
I love this quote by Pastor Tim Keller in a book. Uh, It was actually a book about marriage, but he has this great quote about the gospel. He says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's good, isn't it? We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, but we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Freeway Ministries that uh, Josh and Alex are gonna help us start in the coming months uh, is led by a guy named John Stroop. And I've heard John Stroop say many times, uh, the gospel is only good news for bad people. It's bad news for good people, but it's really good news if you're willing to admit that you're a sinner, that you're a bad person who needs a savior. So we're gonna look at this idea this morning. We're gonna look at the the truth about sin. We're gonna look at what it means to be real and honest with God about who we are. So we're gonna read 1 John, verse five through 10, and then 1 John 2, verses one and two. Um, and I know you've stood and sat a bunch of times already this morning, but if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as I read this passage. First John chapter one, starting in verse five, John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter two, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, speak through your word today. Your word is truth. So sanctify us, transform us, change us by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. Well, we're going to look at the truth about sin this morning. And here's the first thing we need to know. We all have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. Turn to your neighbor and say, we all have a sin problem. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him, we all have a sin problem. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and say, you are a sinner. (laughs) Right? Here's the deal, we all have a sin problem. John tries to make that really clear in this passage. In 1 John 1.8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
John says, if you say you don't have sin, then you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. Verse 10, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar. And his word is not in us. John says, it is the truthful testimony of the God of the universe that you are a sinner. (laughs) God does not lie. God does not contradict himself. And if you are trying to tell me you're not a sinner, then you're telling me that God's a liar and that's a bad thing to do. And if you're trying to tell me that you're not a sinner, then you're a liar too. Because all of us have a sin problem. And my sin problem might look different than your sin problem. Mine might be worse than yours, but that doesn't matter because we all have a sin problem. We are deceiving ourselves, John says, in both of these verses. We're lying to ourselves. We're not being honest with ourselves. We're, we're sweeping it under the rug. We're hiding it in the corner, and that's not helpful. Uh, parents, do you remember when your kid's sippy cup of milk rolled under the seat in the car? And uh, about a week later, you smell something? What is that? And you're looking all over. We have a minivan, and to get to those back seats in the minivan is like a contortionist act. You gotta crawl up under those back seats in the minivan where my boys at the time, they would take milk in the car and it dropped up under the seat. But you gotta get rid of that. If you want the smell gone, you got to get rid of it, right? So many times we try to pretend that everything's okay. We try to pretend that we are not full of sin and brokenness and wickedness. We have to get rid of the problem. We can't ignore it. Because if we ignore it, it just gets worse. It it causes our hearts to grieve and to break down and it causes distress in our lives. King David testifies to this truth in Psalm chapter 32, verses three and five. King David was a man that scripture says was a man after God's own heart. But we know from the testimony of scripture that David was a flawed and sinful man. He made a lot of mistakes. But what David had going for him is that when he made mistakes, he was honest with God about those mistakes. So listen to what David says in Psalm 32, verses three through five. He said, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. King David testifies that when we try to say we have no sin, when we try to sweep it under the rug, when we try to pretend like everything's okay, He says, my bones hurt. I was worn out. I was exhausted. Can you relate to what David is saying? 
We even experience this in our relationships with other people. There's a strain in our relationship with somebody. And nobody wants to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, right? Because <laughs> that means you lost. <laughs> and David says, until I finally came clean, I was just wore out all day long. And maybe some of you are in that season right now. You are not being honest about the things that are happening in your heart and life, and you are exhausted. Maybe you've been to see the counselor, and you're taking medicine, and you're trying to figure it out, but it might be that, but it might be that there's some stuff in your life that you need to finally be honest about that you need to give to the Lord once and for all, that you need to stop sweeping under the rug because it is starting to wreak in your life. It is starting to wreak havoc in your life. And David says, until I finally came to the point of confession, I was worn out. We can't draw near to God where we experience the source of joy if we're not honest with God. Maybe you're missing joy because there's a sin problem in your life that you need to confess to God. No need to pretend because we all have a sin problem, every single one of us. Here's the second thing to know, that sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin breaks our relationship with God, 1 John 1 verse 6 says, if we say we have fellowship or relationship with him and yet walk in darkness or walk in sin, then we are lying, he says it again, and not practicing the truth. When we live with unconfessed sin in our lives, it breaks our relationship with God. It puts a wedge in our relationship with God, it prevents our experiencing the closeness and nearness and fellowship of God in our lives. This breakdown in relationship happens in two ways. First, there is a lawful separation from God. A lawful separation from God. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, there is a consequence <clears throat> or there's a payment for our sin that is spiritual death, that is separation from God. The Bible says we are all born into sin. It is a consequence of the fall of man. When man turned his back on God and said, we wanna do it our own way, as a consequence of that, we are lawfully, legally, righteously, justly separated from God. That's how we're born into this life, separated from God because of the reality of our sin nature. But God made a way through Jesus Christ that we could be reconciled to God and he deals with that original sin problem. But even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can still experience the reality of sin breaking our fellowship with God. This is a relational separation. Even once born again, unconfessed sin causes us to lose fellowship with God. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven says, the things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things that I keep on doing. Romans seven 
verse 21, he says, so I discover this law. When I wanna do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Sin is a struggle. Until the day that we go to heaven and God gives us a brand new, perfect, and glorified body, we will struggle with sin. Even the great and mighty Apostle Paul writer of half the New Testament said, there's this war that happens. God has saved me and in my inner self, I delight to follow his law, but there is this war waging against me. And we all have experienced that reality. So sin breaks our relationship with God. There's lawful separation. That is, we are born under the curse and condemnation of sin. But there's also relational separation. Even once we have come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ, once we have been born again and made into a new creation, we still struggle with this besetting sin, with temptation, with unforgiveness, with anger, with lust, with greed, with self-sufficiency. And when we give way to those sins and, and we do not confess those sins to the Lord, it causes a wedge in our relationship. So we all have a sin problem. Your neighbor just told you a minute ago that you're a sinner. <laughs> that sin breaks our relationship with God. But here's the good news. God has provided a way to deal with sin. God has provided a way to deal with sin. So 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Starts off, if we confess our sins. If means maybe you will, maybe you won't. If implies that you've got a choice to make. What are you gonna do with your sin? What are you gonna do with it? Are you gonna keep on deceiving yourself and saying everything's okay? Or are you gonna be honest with God if we confess our sins? So real quick, let me talk about confession. What does confession look like? Because I think sometimes confession is just like, God, forgive me for all my sins. Thank you, amen. But, but, but let me tell you, confession's deeper than that. First of all, when we confess our sins, we need to take responsibility for our sin. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not because our dad didn't hug us enough. It's not because our boss is a jerk. It's not because those people at the church hurt us. It's not because, you know, um, because the devil made me do it. It's our sin, and we have to take responsibility for our sin. We have to own it. We don't confess and say, dear God, I know I sinned, but it's not really my fault. Uh, there's, a, there's a little book, this pastor, I forget his name. Uh, he, was a, he was a speaker in the Methodist church in the 80s and 90s, uh, and he wrote this little book that says, 
yes, God, I have sinned, but I've got several good excuses. <laughs> when we confess, we don't come to God and say, God, I, I know I messed up, but listen, I gotta tell you why. I got some good excuses. No, that's not confession. We need to take responsibility for our sin. We also need to be specific about our sin. God, I said this thing to that person. God, I thought this thing about that person. God, I looked at this that I know I shouldn't have looked at. God, I, I was greedy today. I was selfish today. I got mad at this person today. God, I, I lived with lust in my heart today. Be specific, not just, dear God, forgive us for all our sins, amen. No, be specific about your sin. Take responsibility, be specific. And then here's the third thing, third thing, truly repent for your sin. If you confess your sin while you're making a plan for how the next time you're gonna sin is gonna look, that is not confession. When I was in elementary school, probably fourth or fifth grade, I had learned some uh, really good curse words. And I was a church kid, I grew up in church, so I knew about confession. If I confessed my sin, God would forgive me. So me and one of my church buddies, um, I do not endorse this, I'm just telling you a story. We would have cussing contests. And we would string together a doozy of whatever fifth graders can say. And then when we were done, we would say, God, please forgive us for that. <laughs> that is not confession. I had to, at a later time of my life, confess that sin to God. It's not confession if when you say, God, I'm sorry for this, you're thinking about the next time you're gonna do it. That is not confession. Confession is repentance. Confession is, God, I am brokenhearted. I messed up again. Help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. I want to read you a quote that is powerful. Pastor John Piper, I, I don't even know if this is from a book or a sermon or what it's from. Corey Cooper actually sent it to me. Listen to this, okay? As we think about confession. A vague bad feeling that you are a crummy person is not the same as conviction for sin. Feeling rotten is not the same as repentance. This morning I began to pray and felt unworthy to be talking to the creator of the universe. It was a vague sense of unworthiness, so I told him so. Now what? Nothing changed until I began to get specific about my sins. Crummy feelings can be useful if they lead to conviction for specific sins, but vague feelings of being a bad person are not usually very helpful. The fog of unworthiness needs to take shape into clear, dark pillars of our disobedience. Then you can point to them and repent and ask forgiveness and take aim with your gospel bazooka and blow them up. So I began to call to mind the commands I frequently break. These are the ones that came to mind. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not 95%, but 100%. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be as eager for things to go well for him as you are for things to go well 
with you. How about this one? Do all things without grumbling, inside or outside. Cast all your anxieties on him so you're not being weighed down by them anymore. Only say things that give grace to others, especially those closest to you. Redeem the time. Don't fritter away the minutes or dawdle. So much for our pretensions of great holiness. <laughs> I'm undone. This is much worse than a vague, crummy feeling. But now the enemy is visible. The sins are specific. They've come out of hiding and I look them in the eye and I'm not whining about feeling crummy. I'm apologizing to Christ for not doing specific things that he commanded. I'm broken and I'm angry at my sin. I wanna kill it. Not me, I'm not suicidal. I'm a sin hater and I'm a sin murderer. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. Romans 8, 13 says, put to death the deeds of the body and I wanna live, that's why I'm a killer, a sin killer. In this conflict, I begin to hear the promise, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And peace begins to rise. And prayer feels possible and right and powerful again. Church, if we're gonna confess our sins, we gotta own it, we gotta be specific, and we have to truly repent. Don't mess around with sin. There's an author named Rosaria Butterfield, and she says, sin is like a little lion cub. You put a cute little collar on it, and you think, this isn't so bad. But one day it grows up to be a lion, and it will eat your face off. Don't mess around. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful. Everybody say, he is faithful. Here's what that means. God will do what he said he will do. If God says he will forgive your sins, guess what? He will forgive your sins. If I tell you, go ahead, confess to me, I'll forgive you, I might or I might not. Depends on how bad it is. Depends on how it affects me, but not God. If he says, I'll forgive you, then he will forgive you because he is faithful. And his steadfast love endures forever. I might forgive you, but I'm probably not gonna forget. Anybody know about that? <laughs> he is faithful. He is faithful. But not only is he faithful, he is righteous or just. Everybody say, he is righteous. Faithful means he will forgive our sins. Righteous means he has the power to forgive our sins. If you came and confessed to me that you robbed a bank and I told you, it's okay, I forgive you, I promise that would not hold up in a court of law. Uh, judge, I forgave him for that, so he's good now. <laughs> That's not how it works. But when God forgives our sins, it is forgiven because every sin is ultimately a sin against God. If I sin against you, I might have sinned against you, but more than that, I sinned against the God who created you. He is faithful to forgive us. That means he will forgive us. He is righteous to forgive us. That means he has the power to forgive us righteously, rightly. 
he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive our sins. To forgive means that he will withhold his judgment against me for my selfish choices. He will withhold his judgment against me for my selfish choices. We're prone to have forgiveness, but when he forgives, he forgives all the way. Listen to what Psalm 103 verse 12 says. Again, David, who understands confession, he writes, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. Let me tell you something I heard a pastor say about that one time. If you're flying in an airplane and you fly north, eventually you get to the North Pole. And then you go over and you start flying south. But if you fly east, there is no east pole. You just keep going east. And east, and east never meets west. And when scripture says, when he forgives us, he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, that means forever, forever. Another scripture says that he buries our sin in the depths of the sea. That is what the forgiveness of God means. But he doesn't just forgive our sins. He also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't just forgive us, but he cleans us up as well. He restores what was lost because of sin. Most importantly, our relationship with him. He doesn't just forgive us, but he cleanses us and he restores us. Heard it said like this before, forgiveness is pardon for sin. Cleansing is power for the next time. When we are tempted, he cleanses us. He makes us right to stand before him. I'm not saying that there's not consequences. If you break the law, you might still have to serve time. But your ultimate need, that is your legal separation from God that we dealt with a few minutes ago is dealt with through Jesus Christ. He forgives us and he cleanses us. The question is how? How is he able to do it? And these first two verses of chapter two answer the question. First of all, 1 John 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as, him, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. His blood is what cleanses us. But how does that work? Chapter two, verse one, John writes, my little children, I am writing you these things. Why? So that you may not sin. But <laughs> he knows us too well. I'm writing so that you don't sin. I mean, it, it will be great if we didn't sin. That is God's desire for us to be holy as he is holy. But, but while we live in these sinful, broken bodies, we will struggle. And so John says, I'm writing so you don't sin. But, but, here's the good news. If you do, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Advocate basically means defense attorney someone who comes alongside to help you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, our helper, our counselor. And Jesus is our advocate 
with the Father. Our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is our defense attorney. And we need a defense attorney because we have an accuser. Revelation 12, verse 10 says, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. Now this is pointing to future events in the book of Revelation also written by the apostle John. And he's pointing to the day when God will finally throw down Satan, the devil, our accuser, who this scripture says stands before God night and day accusing us to God. That's why we need an advocate standing before God night and day, whoever lives to make intercession for us. First John 2 verse 1, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And verse 2 says, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's not only our advocate, but he's also our atoning sacrifice. That means that he paid the price. He paid the penalty for our sin. He made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He made a way to restore the relationship that was broken. He made a way for us to pass from death to life. He made a way for us to be born again. He made a way for us to become a brand new creation because he is the atoning sacrifice. As our advocate, Jesus says to the Father when we stand before him, I move to dismiss all charges. But the accuser of the brethren says, uh-uh, <laughs> they did that. They messed up big. And our advocate, Jesus Christ, says, well, then I move that their sins be forgiven, that you wipe the record clean because I already paid the debt for that sin. And the accuser doesn't have anything to say anymore because that debt has been paid. Our atoning sacrifice has made a way that we can be cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleanses us from all sin. Praise God, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus. He's paid the sacrifice for our sins. And if we confess our sins... Get serious about it. He is faithful. He will do it. He is righteous. He can do it. To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To make us stand holy before the Lord. Now this morning, what are you going to do about your sin? Are you going to keep sweeping it out of the rug? Are you going to pretend like you're better than that guy so you're okay? Some of you need to come to a place of salvation this morning, being born again. I, I said there's two consequences to sin. There is a lawful separation from God, and that means that the consequence, the payment, the result, the penalty of sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. Condemnation is a word the Bible uses. We are under the wrath of God. 
the rightful anger that God has against sin. If he wasn't angry at sin, he wouldn't be a good God. Right? If we see injustice in the world and we are like, eh, it's okay, we're not a good person. We're under the wrath of God because he is a good God and sin which destroys us, he hates it. But here's the incredible truth. He made a way that that wrath could be poured out on Jesus Christ instead of us. <laughs> That's why Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And this morning, maybe you need a savior. Maybe you've never come to a place of faith where you were honest with God to say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm not basically good. I'm doing okay, but I know about the sin of my life. And this morning, God, I, I recognize that that sin separates me from you. I recognize this morning that there is a consequence to my sin, and that is spiritual death and separation from you. But this morning, Lord, I confess that sin to you. And I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If you come to God, he will be faithful and righteous. He has the authority to forgive your sins and give you new life in Christ. Maybe you're a Christian in here. You've been born again. You've surrendered your life to Christ. But there is sin in your life that is messing you up. See, what happens over time, we begin to harden our heart. We keep living with unforgiveness. We keep living with anger. We keep living with lust. We keep, keep living with pride. We keep living with greed. And over time, we become calloused to it. And it begins to be a cancer inside of us. And there is no joy in our life. We, we know because anytime somebody bumps into us, anger comes out. And maybe you just need to deal with some sin in your life this morning. Here, here's the thing. If you don't know what that sin is, just ask God because he'll tell you. <laughs> when you say, God, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I, I feel like David who said my bones are brittle. I'm, I'm exhausted as in summer heat. And God, I don't know why, but God, just reveal it to me. Show it to me so I can take aim with my gospel bazooka and deal with it this morning. Maybe that's you this morning. So I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up with me and we're gonna have a time of response. Today, be honest about your sin. The good news is we're all sinners. So you don't have to be embarrassed to respond because we all got a problem. And so as we sing this song, Jesus paid it all, I invite you to respond I'll be right down here in the front. I would love to pray with anybody who wants to pray. I'd love to show you how to know Jesus as Savior. If you just need to come and get some stuff right with God, I want to encourage you to do that. There's something about stepping out to this altar. An altar is a place where things come to die. And this morning, you need to come let your sin die on this altar and truly repent. 
So as we sing, I invite you to respond this morning.